0: Good morning. So, we had a conversation earlier this week that I would like to to kind of go through again. And for our listeners, the the context of that conversation was uh, really just around finances in general. I mean, that's not something that uh, we talk personally a lot about. And and I have what I was expressing to Mike was um, I struggle a little bit with one, not being able to talk about that or not having that opportunity with most. Um, but two, what do we do with our finances, and, and particularly looking at something that I think many may resonate with, which uh, in the tech industry, or even as you go about and, and progress in, in quote unquote your career, uh, you know you step into larger sums of money as you go, and the question is, well, how do we steward that well, and, uh, and and so my question to Mike was really, you know, what do we do about that? How how do we how do I personally Maintain a good conscience with money, and uh, I think Mike, you said it well. And after I expressed a lot of my thoughts, he said, "Well, you sound like a ball of confusion there." Um, I, I don't have a, a clear answer for what the purpose of money is, or um, even, you know, should we get excited about money? And so, I just like to start there, Mike, with with going back a little bit to our conversation and helping flush flush out a little bit uh, what yeah what do we do with what do we do with money how do we how do we steward that well
1: mm-hmm. well like you said you you know sometimes you step into more money i, I gotta find where you're walking so i can step into that <laughs> <laughs>
0: i've just want to walk
1: i want to walk where you're walking you
0: know he, hearing hearing others who have received I inheritance
1: know. or this or that you know those types of things. i know and uh it is yeah we'll have, some fun, we'll have some fun talking about that this morning because uh yeah, I don't know where it started, by the way, this whole notion of... Uh, well, I, I can tell you exactly a story because I remember distinctly well. This was 1963. I'm nine years old. I'm sitting in the back seat of my father's Opal Cadet while he's driving along. We're getting ready to move from Flint to Saginaw. And I just kind of blurred out, hey, Daddy, how much money do you make? And he said, that's none of your business, son. <laughs> there you go. Yep. And I remember... Uh, Johnny Carson, this is, you know, pre-internet, but he was raised in the Midwest and he, whenever he was asked what he'd signed the new contract, what was it worth when he signed with NBC? He says, that was none of your blank business. So there is a prevailing notion that uh, it's none of your business. What I make now we do publicly traded companies, want have you, we do know what they make and public officials, but by and large, um, I think this, uh, privatization of money has, on the whole, has not been helpful, and there's a, a, a number of reasons uh, why, but uh, we'll get into that. Yeah, you know, one of the chief, <laughs> one that does come to mind, though, is that was, uh, Ronald Reagan was famous for promoting volunteerism and giving charitably and what have you. Of course, when he became president, his tax returns were made public, and it turned out the year before he gave him 1.6% of his income. Mm. And he says, his comment was, "Well, it's difficult, you know." <laughs> that's a. Good... <laughs> uh, so let's talk about that. First of all, let's define a rich person. Uh, a rich person is anyone who's making more money than you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> that's good.
1: Which is crazy. It's not. Of course, that's not. And uh, back in uh, back when I was in cemetery, oh, I'm sorry, seminary. Um, that one of the prophets that took us through one of the courses was saying that in the day of Christ, uh, in his day, uh, a rich person was someone who had food and clothing for the morrow that is, two sets of clothes and food for the next day. That was a rich person, Hmm. which, well, I would guess that probably every one of our listeners. This morning is rich, so it is easy. First of all, to think, oh, rich person, yeah, oh yeah, the ten percent, oh yeah, the. And I think that what uh, what God does is he he upends that because a rich person would have had the means to, in some way, um, store food in uh, when Christ was living. Because think about it: give us to stay our daily bread. Why? Well, who had a refrigerator?
0: Okay. How do you keep it for tomorrow?
1: Sure, that's right. and so um uh, rich by definition was someone who had food for the morrow and could actually change into uh, some clothes after a hot day and uh, so if we start with the kind of a baseline, we're all rich uh, then we can uh, begin to parse this out. There's also another fascinating thing to consider. And I would urge people, uh, the best, one, the couple books that I think are the, some of the best on this is Niall Ferguson. He's an excellent writer and teaches, I think at Harvard and at Oxford. Uh, and he's really engaging to listen to. His book's called The Ascent of Money. And it's got a history of money. You might enjoy that. An even better book is John Kay's Other People's Money. And he's quoting Adam Smith, who uh, wrote the famous Wealth of the Nations. And we're going to talk a bit about that in a moment, the difference between money and wealth, riches and wealth. But uh, Smith wrote, uh, it's an outstanding book, and John Kay picks up on that theme. Because a dynamic changes when you're dealing with, quote, other people's money, that was Smith's point. And so a whole finance industry has emerged that is making money on other people's money. And that really contorts a lot of the dynamics of how uh, God uh, tells us to deal with money. But that probably be another podcast for another day. Let's just talk about The situation you raised, which is what happens as you uh, kind of wander, meander through your career, and next thing you know, you're making quite a bit more money than you would have before. And uh, first of all, with privatization, you rarely have someone to have this kind of a conversation. And uh, so that's what we hope to do. I would urge uh, readers or listeners a good little book. Unfortunately, you got to sift through a whole lot of uh, academic talk, but it's called The Good of Affluence by John Schneider. Now, you can tell by the very title. What stands out to you in that title? Well,
0: I mean, one, affluence versus, like, wealth or money is a difference. And then two, obviously, the good
1: coming from it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, John um, I think he teaches at Calvin College good man loves the lord uh, if you take out the 10 percent that if you're a, just a everyday worker uh, and just set aside all the uh, love of the dealing with uh, Old Testament texts and what have you the point that he pulls out that, that to me was outstanding is that affluence is God's preferred condition for all affluence is good inherently good because it is God's preferred condition for all money is a commodity that can be invested toward the preferred condition for all so affluence is a condition Money is one of many commodities.
0: Yeah, that so that's helpful. So, money there uh, being potentially uh, a a way towards affluence, but also only one one aspect. Is that that's what you're
1: yes. saying? Yes, and this is what Smith picks up in his book, uh, *The Wealth of the Nations*. Our *Wealth of the Nations* is still sort of the bible of the MBA schools written, by the way, in 1776, but it was the second of two books that Smith wrote, because the first talked about the the kind of person that's necessary to pursue or promote the wealth of the nations. And where do you draw that title from, by the way, The Wealth of the Nations?,
0: that is something related to Old Testament, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you find it in Isaiah. You find it all through. Uh, And that's interesting. So Isaiah is written during the time that the nation of Judah is in exile, and God tells them to seek the flourishing of Babylon. So God's preferred condition for all, even for the Babylonians, is affluence. But affluence includes money, but goes well beyond money. That was Smith's point in other words it's hard to be affluent if you're uh, poor
0: so even that i found helpful in our conversation cuz it, it starts to shift now the understanding of money is regardless of, of what you possess where your heart lies there could be there could be something off there and and uh, in other words it's okay to to want affluence, affluence is, is good. And it's actually the preferred condition that God wants for all. Um, but to, to hold money specifically as the equation of affluence is, is off. That's incorrect.
1: Yeah. And that's why, um, so that's why when you sort of downloaded this past week, I thought to myself, well, this is a ball of confusion. Um, kind of like this uh, new technology I bought recently, it was a ball of wires that were just everywhere. And <laughs> so it took me actually took me two days to untangle these things and get them. So they're functioning properly. And so if we begin to untangle them, uh, what you even just said right there, for example, that yes, wealth, um, includes possessions, but extend, but, but it, it's uh, broader than just money. But even there, We have to untangle possessions.
0: Mm -hmm. Why? Because even in that, there's a that's very materialistic, Uh, yeah, very consumeristic.
1: Well, it can be. It's not necessarily because someone has to possess the things that are out there. You can't say, "You know, I'm not touching a thing," so I'm gonna have nothing to do with. uh, investments i'm gonna have nothing to do well i think luther essentially said well if you don't the the Huns will i'd rather have you know rather i'd rather be stewarding the resources god has than some guy that doesn't know jesus from his blue jeans now that's a real butchering of luther but he'll forgive me when we meet in heaven because he'll have a perfected nature but uh (laughs) so so i find this uh this is amazing there's all this stuff out there about uh, how to be a disciple of christ which i know you and i want to be and what did jesus say about possessions in relationship to being a disciple
0: yeah i mean you, he said you can't serve two masters
1: nope oh, that's another verse we're gonna take that one out on, by the way also <laughs> luke 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 14 33. no one can be my disciple if you have any possessions. Hmm. You cannot be my disciple if you have any possessions. I don't think it takes a Greek scholar to parse that verse out. (laughs) No one, no one can be my follower if you have any possessions.
0: Yeah, that's a hard one to
1: get around. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not. I think it's hard in the execution. But so,
0: yeah, so what do you mean by that? How do you how do you make sense of that?
1: Well, the world God made stuff. Stuff is inherently good. But what is the, what is it what I love about thick liturgical churches is that they often at the offertory recite part of Psalm twenty four. All the silver and all the gold is mine. The earth is the Lord's because He made it. So, who possesses all this stuff? Got Not it. a trick question. That's right. If you say squirrel, then we've really got to go back to. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, so he got so. So what are we?
0: We're just we're just stewards.
1: There you go. So, a master gave some of his possessions to this servant and this one and this one and said, Invest it because I'm going on a trip. And when he comes back, look, Lord, look, Master, I took the five and I turned them into ten. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Hey, look, he gave me three, I invested them and turned them into three. Well done, good and faithful. Well, Lord, I knew that you're kind of a tough guy to work with and pretty demanding whatever. so I hid it in the mattress. Here, you got it back. Didn't lose anything. You wicked, evil slave. No servant ever goes to his master and says, this is my stuff, ain't yours. Or I earned it. No. You might have planted planted, you might have watered, God caused the growth. So this is where the world of finance has really flipped a lot of how, well, what we've been calling used to be this enchanted, mystical background of which we get to play a part in this universe, but it is a mysterious, wonderfully mystical world that starts with it's in my stuff. The reason it's called possessions, we often think, oh, it's because we possess them. But, that actually goes two ways. What do you mean? This is, well, it's the very verse you just cited a while ago, we said we'll get to that verse. So Jesus said, First of all, you can't be my disciple if you have any possessions. I would think the serious Christian would give serious thought then to, hmm, well, I want to be a disciple. Do I have any possessions? Hmm. Because he doesn't say, to sound like a Gen Z, well, you know, you sort of kind of, it's kind of hard to be, you know, kind of sort of, you know, disciple. If you sort of kind of, you know, kind of like, you know, you have some of this stuff, you know, you know what I mean? That's not what he says. He doesn't round off the edges. It is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. You have any possessions. You're not my disciple. Oh, yeah, Lord, I'm your, I'm your disciple. I follow you. I love you. I... No, you're not. Why not? Come here. There's a easy way to think about it. Possessions go two ways. You can possess it, but when you possess it, it possesses you.
0: Yeah, that's good. Have
1: fun. Well, I was raised in a GM culture in a little ghost town called Flint, Michigan. And I remember when I was a young man, my dad, who taught at General Motors Institute, took me into the design lab. I'm pretty sure I saw the clay mock-up for the about to be revealed in a year or two, the Corvette Stingray. Mm.
0: That was my and favorite I, car growing up. I isn't that awesome? Yeah.
1: Split window. Yeah, yeah. You and I, man, we're talking, Hear here I am so much older than you, but you t- <laughs> no, makes you understand.
0: <laughs> that was it. Yeah. I would always say Corvette Stingray. That was such a cool yep. car.
1: Such a cool car. And uh, I came away possessed. Hmm. I gotta have that car. No, listen, others, that ne- please understand, never have. <laughs> and uh, Kathy, my wife, her father worked for General Motors in, uh, in the customer care division. But uh so she got it in this regard. First of all, she always pat my head, you know, sweet boy, you're never gonna have one, but you're a sweet boy. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll never forget for Christmas, I open my stocking. One uh, year, and here's the story of the last Pat the last Corvette stingray that came off the line in 1967. Oh, wow! The guy found it in a barn. For it was, but he looked at the numbers, all matching, and I think he bought it for like $2,500. It just needed a lot of work. And one of the television, uh, one of the uh, major studios. Went in on uh, it, they did a couple year restoration for a quarter million dollars and completely rebuilt it to look exactly as it came off the line. And the reason it was in this magazine at Christmas time is that in January at Barrett Jackson at Scottsdale that year, it sold for one million dollars. Now, I had a poor man's version of that many, many, many years ago when I was able to find an original year, red Mazda Miata, low miles. And this time, Kathy didn't pat my head. She went for a ride with me. She came away and said, oh, that's a great car. But there are aspects of it that it possessed me. So a possession is if I take it you go hey now if you're a steward and you're protecting the lords and you property you have a sense of that now, that doesn't mean that you leave your doors unlocked and yeah we don't care if people come in and you know haul off all this stuff whatever. I mean, no there's a it's called being responsible but there's a difference when you possess something you're your heart races and you get nervous if you think about possibly losing it. That's the difference, is that you go, (laughs) you get anxious, you get nervous, you you feel like, oh my God, my life's going to end. It could be, I'm going to lose this job. Um,
0: yeah, the I, stock market it, went down.
1: Could be. I think, you know, no, no generation of parents is perfect. They get a lot. Of, it, we all get a lot of things wrong. But what my parents got right is, uh, they did not convey to us that uh, their world swirled around us. And I think, beginning with boomers, uh, kids became possessions. Hmm. And it's almost a third rail to mention to Christians who are parents don't you tell me how to raise my kids <laughs> but uh the uh the hyper you know but the, so the jokes in the parent in the past have been you know depicting helicopter parents you know those are all hunched over because they're always protecting their child from all manner of evil and uh, these are uh, the, the other one is uh, what's it called for the front of the railroad uh, engine the uh clears the tracks. That's the parenting too, you know, mm. phew, clear everything away for the child and the insane running around kids all over the planet so they can play in the sports. leagues the because they're going to turn they're going to sign that big contract one day or get that full ride to that school. And then we wanted to pay for college and yada, yada, yada. My parents, that was, that was just bizarre to them. And that's because too many parents don't really believe Children are a gift from the Lord. That's how God treats them. They're gifts. In other words, I own those kids. I'm giving them to you. You don't own them. They are not your possession. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't love. And no greater love has someone than to lay down your life. Few kids, but we're not seeing a lot of that. What we're seeing is I'm giving up my life. My whole life wraps around these kids as a possession. Possessions, in other words, can be uh, they can be material or immaterial. Immaterial not meaning no big deal. Meaning, uh, listen, I know I've had a possession at time of, uh, and. Inherited this from a lot of my family, but they're not to blame is, you know, we want to be the smartest guy in the room. And if you possess that. You're not a disciple. Hmm. You always want to be right. Or you'll never want to be embarrassed. Or. You. Want to have this kind of body. And so even if it takes surgery. yeah, These are possessions. And so the problem with the possession is it possesses you. So now we're in the subject of when uh, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, but it's fascinating the master he picked out. So what verse are we talking about here?
0: Yeah, well, this came up because, you had kind of asked me what the verse was, and I at the time had said, "Well, yeah, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God, and you can't serve money." And then you yep. went you went on to kind of correct the uh, my syntax there, which was <laughs> helpful. Syntax
1: is, <laughs> is that a tax on sin?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> what he says is not money. It is uh, I think you corrected to be manna, correct?
1: No, but that's <laughs> I totally missed the conversation. Then. Man is good. They ate it. <laughs> mammon. Oh, sorry. Mammon. Thank you. That's yes. all right. That's all right. It's early in the morning. Listen, to some, Listen, Pat and I got up this morning at 4.30, so cut us some slack. <laughs> you get up this morning. You get up that early and try to sound halfway coherent. <laughs> mammon. What is mammon? What does that mean?
0: Yeah. Uh, you would use the word confidence. Confidence.
1: Yeah, so so first of all, you know, Pat and I are having fun at each other's expense because the fact of the matter is that a lot of people would say you can't serve God in manna, you can't serve God and money, you can't serve yeah, but mammon denotes yes money, but it comes from the Babylonian culture. It's Chaldean for confidence. In other words, of all the things Jesus could have picked. He singles out one thing that can give you a feeling of confidence, money, riches. I knew the feeling in college. In college, I didn't have, uh, uh, my senior year, I gave up my scholarship uh, just didn't enjoy playing ball anymore, wasn't very good anyway, figured I could get through my senior year, I could, but uh, I remember taping $5 underneath my desk, so I said, if things really get, if I really get hungry and desperate to splurge, I'm going across the street to Burger King. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I remember doing a couple of jobs, one was like tearing down a barn, and then getting a a wad of bills from the farmer and stuff in my pocket, I just felt good. (sighs) Everything's okay.
0: Mm.
1: Ever had that feeling? Yeah, Yeah. Yep. It's called confidence. And why would Jesus, of all the things, why would he single out that because it is money yes but it's mammon it's money that is mammon see money is not the root of all evil bible says it's what it's the love of money Mm money is neither here nor there we're back to affluence is god's preferred condition money is a commodity it's like air is a commodity. Pretty hard to be affluent if you can't breathe. It's a commodity. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And I'll be frank with you, just because I'm tired of being Mike right now. No, that's a bad joke. Um, we, we, we don't live and the faith community doesn't talk much about this at all. Frankly. We just don't. We... The love of money is the root of all evil. And you might hear someone every once in a while on the pulpit talk about consumerism and consumerism. But we don't bore down because... Well, first of all, I think we're kind of in a therapeutic age. We don't want to offend anyone. <clears throat> we don't want to have them go away, go to another church. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You can't. You can't. So look at look at the starkness of this. Because we often, I've often heard, I've even heard pastors say, you know, we're, we don't want to be prescriptive. We just want to be descriptive. Which I think, that's a prescriptive phrase right there anyway. So self-defeating second heavens yes we ought to be uh, prescriptive jesus said you can't be my disciple if you have any possessions why are we helping people understand if they secretly or unknowingly have possessions second you can't serve mammon and god at the same time you can't jesus said it's not yeah you know this is like a seesaw. You can teeter totter back and forth and sort of kinda yeah because you know hey we're only per you know can't be perfect and God understands and it's all about grace anyway, you know and God forgives and... oh my I don't so- know maybe it's because I've been in the tech world the last two days and I'm just really <laughs> 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 I ain't putting up with this normal. <laughs>
0: so so yeah, I mean, what's your, what's your advice or wisdom there on both how to detect when maybe I, I am possessing things or even just how do you, how do you keep your heart, uh, in focused on stewardship? How do you sense when you're, when you're drifting?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question, Pat. I, you know, I've just moved over the years more and more into the camp of, um, of older church traditions who would say, you have to have a spiritual guide. And, you know, you and I have had more often than not been in faith traditions that all we need is God, and the Holy Spirit, the Bible, and, you know, we can figure all this out. Uh, I can be self-aware. I can be on top of my game. I can understand what's going on in my soul. Who the heck asks you for your input anyway, sort of thing. Um, I have had spiritual guides who a spiritual guide listens and then they'll maybe say something like, Hmm, that's interesting. Do you know how often you said this word? No, I didn't even was even paying attention. See, spiritual guides pay attention, Uh, they pay attention to how. The words we use, Jesus said, "Speak from the heart." So our words, if we're being unedited, give away our loves. And uh, now, by the way, I have served as a spiritual guide for a lot of people, and I have found that when you get into this realm, I've had more than one decide to fold their hand, that fold their cards, and go. I don't want to talk about this. Or, I'm thinking about one right now, and this person became indignant. How dare you suggest those are possessions and they possess me? Okay. I mean, I wish I were that self-aware, but there is a tendency, especially in the evangelical tradition, that I am completely self-aware. So don't tell me that I have possessions, and they spout chapter and verse. Maybe they, maybe they don't, but I'm a big fan of William Wilberforce, and we can, um, Pat, in this podcast at some point, we can send you the link to a letter he wrote to his 13-year-old daughter, Elizabeth where he said that this age, I hope, I trust, I'm confident that you have cultivated self-suspicion and that you welcome, you have a habit of welcoming the friendly reproofs of friends by which we create a healthy conscience, by which you cannot have a clear conscience, if you don't have those friendly reproofs. And conscience is self-awareness. So, Pat, this is all wrapped up in a whole view of uh, the Christian tradition that went that, that was slowly eclipsed over the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment is, if I can think it through, I can figure it out. So, do I have any possession? Hmm, let me see. No, I don't think so. What else? Uh, you can't serve God and man. Or- hmm, hmm. Mm, yep, I'm not doing that. Next,
0: yeah, I mean, this comes up multiple times in our conversations, and I, and I like it because I, I th- what I've taken away from not only our conversations but also just our relationship over the years is that there is there is an extent to which you can uncover things yourself, but they're not they're not going to go to the heart. They're not going to be the, uh, the the times you mention whatever word five times in your conversation and, and you have a Mike Metzger say, Hey, do you, do you realize you mentioned that you use this word specifically to describe that? You know, maybe there's something else there. It's uh, yeah. I think it's impossible to do that without some type of either, like you said, friendly reproof or a spiritual guide
1: in that regard. I think so. <clears throat> I think so. It was one of the, uh, I believe it was, uh, Pope John Paul II, uh, said the, the, the 19th century had three masters of suspicion, Darwin, Nietzsche, Freud, different aspects, but each one of them promoted, pushed away from self suspicion to suspicions of others, especially authorities like guides or mentors. Mm, yeah, I ought to be suspicious of those. And again, so right on Pat, the, the, the enlightenment <clears throat> I think therefore I am, that I can be I can be on top of myself. I know what's going on in my soul. And furthermore, um, I didn't invite you in. It's none of your GD business. And that's what my father told me when I asked him how much he made. That's none of your business. Um <clears throat> well. Maybe, but, so here's a fascinating thing, Pat, a couple, of Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Now, remember, before we get into this, Jesus, well, all of scripture, God, distinguishes between wealth and riches and money. Wealth is affluence. It's synonymous with affluence. God's preferred condition is wealth for all, a rising tide lifting all boats, affluence for all. And that's why when you read Schneider's book, he will show you throughout scripture. This is the picture, you know, the Exodus leaving a land of deprivation to a land overflowing with milk and honey. Milk and honey. That's right. So for all, really, this really was difficult for. Uh, Westerners in an individualized faith and an individualized culture to capture. Because it's, there's just these are just givens before the Enlightenment that uh, we're in this together. doesn't matter if you're pagan or believer, we're in this together. In an individualized world, it's, you now my church is great, you know, the rest of the society is going to hell in a handbasket, but we're doing great. And th- that just doesn't work. In the same way, you have to make a distinction, then, between riches and wealth. Wealth is good when it's understood as, as God's preferred condition for all. It's what we aim for. That's why in Babylon, seek the flourishing of the Babylonians. And then you actually read later in Isaiah, that some of the people of God will include Egyptians and Babylonians, he says. I love them. That's just, it's just fascinating. Now, riches tend to get, they're a darker shade on this. And here's what I mean by that. In the Proverbs, we read, Agur, one of the prophets say, Lord, give me neither riches nor poverty. He didn't say, don't give me wealth. He said, give me neither riches nor poverty. Why? Well, he tells you. He says, with riches, I might very well disown you. With poverty, I might very well steal. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Just on a wild guess, does one sound a little worse than the other?
0: Sure, yeah. A
1: yeah thief, I mean, things worse yeah now disowning God
0: oh oh sure i yeah that that to me is more subtle uh until you think about it, but what I like is confidence is is evident in both what you said about earlier i I will disown because I've become overconfident that's but right. even even stealing, I am still entrusting my confidence in these things
1: that's right. That's right. It's right. Neither one. They're right. both set up as neither one's good, but they're not equal. They're just, they're bad, but one's better. <laughs> That's, That's a work. word. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, so you go, well, I can't, I'd never disown God. Mm, so 1 Timothy 6, I've got some Bible verses for listeners to ponder. First Timothy six verse seventeen, and uh, I'm gonna pull it up right here on my laptop because this is Paul writing to his younger, his protege, Timothy, who's a pastor. By the way, pastors, preachers. Next time you say, "Well, we don't want to be prescriptive," ponder what Paul tells. Timothy, to do. And here it is. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, nor put their confidence in money, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous in this way they lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life don't miss this the life that is truly life there's a lot there isn't there (laughs) (laughs) okay first thing i want to point out this is I think this is fascinating. It's more than fascinating. It's actually chilling. Command. In the Greek. This is a military term. It's the only time you find it in the the Bible. He's literally saying, you stand like a general in front of the troops. And you don't ask, urge, encourage. Hey, how would you like to be generous? Tenhat. And you command those who are rich ah, in this present world not to be arrogant or put their confidence. What is mammon? Confidence. Yep. Now, I'm going to skip all the way to the end of verse 19. Here's why. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What does that mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, the life that is truly life. There are a lot of ways you can unpack that. One speaking to eternity, but another even what we've been talking about here, wealth, affluence, what, what God's preferred condition is.
1: Yes, here's his Fascinating Colossians. Same writer, Paul saying when christ when our when our groom when our husband is revealed your true life and who you truly are will be revealed where is bride when you have your confidence in mammon you are adulterous you do not take hold of the life that is truly life here's why again money is a commodity but it can instill confidence in a counterfeit of life like This is the life, man. I made it. This is the life.
0: Like that. That. That's a just had a great visual in my head. I'm thinking of several shows that you can watch where one spouse is the primary uh, money earner in the family, and the other spouse is just you know belligerently spending all of that money to the extent that they go into financial ruin. And it's thinking about that second spouse. Why, why do they end up in financial ruin? Well, because that spouse was not only irresponsible, but also went and spent all the money on things that he or she wanted, and took ownership of this is mine, even though the other spouse was the primary earner. And and there's something about that two becoming one in a, in a true marriage where uh, there's that equality of stewardship, recognizing this is this is something that we steward well and and that's just like the visual that came to mind of that's that's what you're talking about here that as as the bride of christ i also am simply stewarding he is the the chief earner so to speak i i've just been been entrusted with possessions that he
1: has gone out and earned that's right he's um that's right beautifully said it where's bride he's our husband he owns it all we've been, we've married into wealth we've married into wealth and I, you know i think this is a big big challenge because just about every thing out there on media promotes a life that is not truly life that's that's what paul's getting at here where he says to timothy and this is again why i don't think we're willing to preach this passage for all it's worth it's because we don't see how high the stakes are. The stakes are this high. We are the bride. But if your confidence is in mammon, you cannot, not, You. it's not, Jesus doesn't round it off and say, it's going to sort of be a challenge, it's going to be difficult. But in fact, the matter is, we live in a world, in a society, that says, uh I gotta have this house. I got uh travel has become the new. You see that study that said thirty eight percent of Americans would give up sex if they could travel again. <laughs>
0: I've not seen this study.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, Kathy pointed it out to me, and I just go. That's called. That's called a god. Mm. It's called a god that says. Wherever I am, I keep my tent pegs shallow shallow because I love travel. And listen, all of these things, all of these things are not inherently bad. Money is not inherently bad. But we live in a society that says, you know, if I can't have that kind of furniture in this house, I'm not going to be happy if I can't have this kind of car, if I can't live in this kind of a place, if I can't have this, if I can't, you know, uh, and listen, I've been there, we all have been there and we can be there. I, I'll i tell you what, Pat, you made a great point. I, I am not being ha-ha-ha when I say I overmarried because there are the one or two junctures in our lives for Kathy and I that we might very well we're going to lose not at all but we're going to lose a whole lot and I just sat down and we did a little exercise called touching bottom that is we lose everything at that point one time I said we move back to Louisville and live with your mother-in-law we live in the basement Are we going to be okay I'll never forget. I mean, I just bawl my eyes. Off. She goes, we are going to be fine. Now, I counsel all sorts of couples. that They can't touch bottom. There will be hell to pay if a job is lost or they lose this. or um, Because I won't give that up. Hmm. But at the same time they go to the Bible study community group every weekend, they're disciples of Jesus. Hmm. That's the farce of the faith community as I see it in the 21st century in the Western world. Command those who are rich. Why would he single out the rich? It's not because rich people are bad. Remember a rich person by definition is simply someone who makes more money than you do. That's crazy every one of us here is rich and we've never had someone say I'm not suggesting to you I'm telling I am ordering you private Metzger be generous give and yet we live in a society that on average 2.6 percent that's all the average evangelical gives and I'll be frank with you, I live more on the receiving end, which is not a blessing. Jesus said, You're more fortunate if you give than you receive. Kathy and I have tried to be really good stewards in giving throughout our life. But I'll be honest with you, I've been on the receiving end. The receiving end is this I live on donations. I notice when someone hits a rough patch, I'm the first one out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is not unique to me. I mean, we're talking about ministries across the board, by and large, people say, and they'll say, well, what about their pledge (laughs) pledge? What are you talking about? I mean, there's no way they would say not take their trip around the world or no way they wouldn't downsize. No way they wouldn't downsize their home. No way they wouldn't sell a car and drive a more modest car. No way. But that's what we'll have to do. Paul said, godliness is a means of great gain if it's accompanied by contentment. So wealth, affluence is God's preferred condition for all, for everyone. Money is one of many commodities. But it is the only commodity that Jesus pulls out and says, This thing can give you a false sense of security, confidence. False, because you have insulated yourself from real life. You can't taste it. You're like... You're like in the matrix and you don't know it. You're like Cypher saying, I know this steak is real, but dick, it tastes so good. That Here's the deal, Agent Smith. I want a million dollars. I want women. And I want to eat like this. I'm so sick of being in the matrix. He wasn't content. I think most Christians, frankly, are in the matrix and they don't know, that the life that they are chasing is counterfeit, it's false, it's because it gives them a false sense of confidence. Hence Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor probably talking to people older than him, you tell them, attention, Private Metzger, you will do good. You'll be rich in good deeds and be generous and lay up for yourselves treasures for the coming age. By the way, did not Jesus warn? Okay, you wanted this and this and this. You have your reward in full here on earth. Jesus is not. He'll give it to you if that's what you want. But you haven't laid up anything for eternity. You'll go visit the homes of those who are living in magnificent splendor, who are in charge of cities. Because of that perfected nature, going, oh, yeah, there's that, yeah. Well, that's exactly right. He does. He did earn all that. I didn't. It's exactly the way it should be. Because I never took hold of life that is truly life. That was one of Jesus' warnings. And there was another one. And I think this does speak to our age. The one who said, uh, I'm just going to work my butt off until I can get enough money in the barn. And once i got that barn stuffed with money, then I'll serve the Lord. Then I'll be generous. Then I'll get involved in ministry. Then I'll, then I'll. You fool, tonight your life is going to be called for and you have nothing.